Chapter 5. His eyes snapped open, hammered open, and there were things about himself that he knew instantly. He was unbelievably, viciously thirsty. His mouth was dry and tasted foul and sticky. His lips were cracked and felt as if they were bleeding, and he did not drink some if he did not drink some water soon, he felt like he would wither up and die. Lots of water, all the water he could find. He knew the thirst and felt the burn on his face. It was mid-afternoon, and the sun had come over him and cooked him while he slept, and his face was on fire. It would blister and peel, which would not help the thirst, but made it worse. He stood, using the tree to pull himself up because there was still some pain and much stiffness, and looked down at the lake. It was water, but he did not know if he could drink it. Nobody had ever told him if you could or could not drink lakes. There was also the thought of the pilot. Down in the blue with the plane strapped in the body. Ick. Awful, he thought. But the lake was blue, wet looking, and his mouth and throat raged with the thirst, and he did not know where there might be another form of water he could drink. Besides, he had probably swallowed a ton of it when he was swimming out of the plane and getting to shore. In the movies, they always showed the hero finding a clear spring with pure water to drink, but in the movies, they didn't have plane wrecks and swollen foreheads and aching bodies and thirst that tore at the hero until he couldn't think. Brian took small steps down to the bank, down the bank to the lake. Along the edge, there was thick grasses, and the water looked a little murky, and there were small things swimming in the water, small bugs. But there was a log extending... About 20 feet out of the water, out of the lake, a beaver dropped from some time before, and his old limbs sticking up almost like handles. He balanced on the log, holding himself up on the limbs, and teetered out past the weeds and murky water. When he was out there, the water was clear, and he could see no bugs swimming. He kneeled on the log to take a drink. A sip, he thought, still worrying about the lake water. I'll just take a sip. But when he brought... A cupped hand to his mouth, he could feel the cold lake water trickle past his crackled lips and over his tongue. He could not stop. He had never, not ever, on long bike trips in the hot summer been this thirsty. It was as if the water were more than water, as if the water had become all of life, and he could not stop. He stooped and put his mouth into the lake and drank and drank and drank, pulling it deep and swallowing big gulps of it. He drank until his stomach was swollen, until he nearly fell off the log with it. Then he rose and staggered, tiptoed his way back to the bank, where he was immediately sick and threw up most of the water. But his thirst was gone, and the water seemed to reduce the pain in his head as well, although the sunburn still cooked his face. So, he almost jumped with the word spoken aloud. It seemed so out of place, the sound. He tried it again. So, so here I am, and there it is, he thought. For the first time since the crash, his mind started to work again. His brain triggered, and he began thinking. Here I am, and where is that? Where am I? He pulled himself once more up the bank to the tall tree without branches and sat again with his back against the rough bark. It was hot now, but the sun was high and to his rear, and he sat in the shade of the tree in relative comfort. There were things to sort out. Here I am, and that is nowhere. With his mind opened and thoughts happening, it all tried to come in at a rush. All of what had occurred, and he could not take it. The whole thing turned into a confused jumble that made no sense. So he fought it down and tried to take one thing at a time. 
He had been flying north to visit his father a couple of, for a couple of months in the summer, and a pilot had had a heart attack and had died, and the plane had crashed somewhere in the Canadian North Woods, but he did not know how far they had flown or in what direction or where he was. Slow down, he thought. Slow down more. My name is Brian Robeson, and I am 13 years old, and I am alone in the North Canadian Woods. All right, he thought. That's simple enough. I was flying to visit my father, and the plane crashed and sank into a lake. There, keep it that way. Short thoughts. I do not know where I am, which doesn't mean much. More to the point, they do not know where I am. They meaning anybody who might be looking for me, the searchers. They would look for him, look for the plane. His father and his mother would be frantic. They would tear the world apart to find him. Brian had seen searches on the news, seen movies about lost planes before. When a plane went down, they mounted extensive searches, and almost always they found the plane within a day or two. Pilots all filed flight plans, a detailed plan for where and when they were going to fly with all the courses explained. They would come and they would look for him. The searchers would get government planes and cover both sides of the flight plan filed by the pilot and search until they found him. Maybe even today. Maybe they'll come today. This was the second day after the crash. No, Brian frowned. Was it the first day or was it the second day? They had gone down in the afternoon and he had spent the whole night out in the cold. So this had to be the first real day. But they could still come today. They would have started the search immediately when, plane, when Brian's plane did not arrive. Yeah, they will probably come today. Probably came, come in here with amphibious planes, small bush planes that float that, can be, that could be on, land right here on the lake and pick him up and take him home. But which home? The father home or the mother home? Then he stopped thinking. It didn't matter. Either on to his dad or back to his mother. Either way, he would probably be home by late night or early morning. Home where he could sit down and eat a large, cheesy, juicy burger with tomatoes and double fries with ketchup and a thick chocolate shake. And then came hunger. Brian rubbed his stomach. The hunger had been there, but something else, fear, pain, had held it down. Now, with the thought of a burger, the emptiness roared at him. He could not believe the hunger, had never felt it this way. The lake water had filled his stomach but left it hungry, and now it demanded food. It screamed for food. And there was, he thought, absolutely nothing to eat. Nothing. What did they do in the movies when they got stranded like this? Oh, yes, the hero usually found some kind of plant that he knew was good to eat and just took care of it just ate the plant until he was full or used some kind of cute trap to catch an animal and cook it like a slick little over a slick little fire and pretty soon he had a full eight course meal the trouble brian thought looking around was that all he could see was grass and brush there was nothing obvious to eat and aside from about a million birds and the beaver that he had seen animals to trap and cook and even if he had gotten one somehow he didn't have any matches so he couldn't have a fire Nothing. It come, kept coming back to him. He had nothing. Well, almost nothing. As a matter of fact, he thought, I don't know what I've got or what I haven't got. Maybe I should try to figure out just how, how, just, how, just how I stand. It will give me something to do and keep me from thinking of food until they come to find me. Brian had once had an English teacher, a guy named per Perpich, who was always talking about being positive and thinking positive, staying on top of things. That's how Perpich put it. 
stay positive, and stay on top of things. Brian thought of him now and wondered how to stay positive and stay on top of this. All Perpich would say is that I have to get motivated. He was always telling kids to get motivated. Brian changed positions so that he was sitting on his knees, and he reached into his pockets and took out everything he had and laid it on the grass in front of him. It was pitiful enough. A quarter, three dimes, a nickel, and two pennies. A fingernail clipper, a billfold with a $20 bill, in case you get stranded at the airport in some small town and have to buy some food, his mother had said to him, and some old pieces of paper. And on his belt, somehow still there, the hatchet that his mother had given him. He had forgotten about it and now reached around and took it and put it in the grass. There was a touch of rust already forming on the cutting edge of the blade, and he rubbed it off with his thumbs. That was it. He frowned. No, wait. If he was going to play this game, he might as well play it right. Perpich would have tell him not to quit messing around and get motivated and look at all of it, Robeson. He had a pair of good tennis shoes, now almost dry, and socks and jeans, and underwear, and a thin leather belt, and a t-shirt with a windbreaker so torn that it hung on him in tatters, and a watch. He had a digital watch still on his wrist, but it was broken from the crash. The little screen was left blank, and he took it off and almost threw it away, but stopped the hand motion and lay the watch on the grass with the rest of it. There. That is it. No, wait. The other thing. Those are the things he had, but he also had himself. Perfect used the drum that used to drum that into them. You are your most valuable asset. Don't ever forget that. You are the best thing you have. Brian looked around again. I wish you were here, Perpich. I'm hungry, and I'll trade everything I have for a hamburger. I'm hungry, he said aloud, in normal tones at first and then louder and louder until he was yelling it. I'm hungry! I'm hungry! I'm hungry! Then he stopped. There was a si- sudden silence. Not just from him, but the clicks and blurps and bird chirps of the forest as as well. The noise of his voice had startled everything, and all was quiet. He looked around, listened with his mouth open, and realized that in all of his life he had never heard silence before. Complete silence. There was always some some sort of sound. It lasted only a few seconds, but it was so intense that it seemed to become part of him nothing. There was no sound. Then the bird started again and some kind of buzzing insect and then the chattering and cawing and soon there was the same background noise which left him still hungry. Of course he thought putting the coins and the rest back into his pocket and the hatchet on his belt. Of course if they come tonight or even if they take as long as tomorrow the hunger is no big thing. People have gone for days without having food as long as they've got water. Even if they don't come until late tomorrow I'll be all right. Lose a little weight, maybe, but the first hamburger and malt and fries will bring it right back. A mental picture of a hamburger, the way they showed it on the television commercials, thundered into his thoughts. Rich colors, the meat was juicy and hot. He pushed the picture away. So even if they didn't find him until tomorrow, he thought, he would be all right. He had plenty of water, although he wasn't sure it was good good and clean or not. He sat again by the tree, his back against it. There was a thing bothering him. He wasn't quite sure what it was, but he kept chewing at the edge of his thoughts. Something about the plane and the pilot that would change things. Ah, there it is. The moment when the pilot had his heart attack, his right foot had jerked on the rudder pedal and the plane had slewed sideways. What did that mean? Why did that keep coming into his mind And he, as he was thinking, nudging and pushing him? It means, a voice in his thoughts said, that he might, they might not be coming for you tonight or even tomorrow. 
When the pilot pushed the rudder pedal, the plane had jerked to the side and assumed a new course. Brian could not remember how much that it, it had pulled around, but it wouldn't have been too much after that because the pilot was dead and Brian had flown for an hour, for hours after hours on the new course. Well after the new flight plan had, that the pilot had fill, filed, many hours at maybe 160 miles per hour. Even if it was only a little off course, with that speed and time, Brian might now be sitting several hundred miles off to the side of the recorded flight plane. And they would probably search most heavily at first along the flight plan course. They might go out to the side a little, but they could easily be three, four hundred miles to the side. He could not know, could not think of how far he might have gone wrong because he didn't have the original course and didn't know how much they had pulled sideways. Quite a bit. That's how he remembered it. Quite a bit. To a, quite a jerk to the side. It pulled his head over sharply when the plane had swung around. There might not, they might not find him for two or three days. He felt his heart increase, his heartbeat increase as the fear started. The thought was there, but he fought it down this time and pushed it away, and then it exploded out. They might not find him for a long time, and the next thought was there as well, and they might not ever find him. But what was that panic, and he fought it down and tried to stay positive. They searched hard when a plan, plane went down. They used many men and planes, and they would go to the side. They would know he was off from the flight plan, and he would. He had talked to the man on the radio, and they would somehow know. It would all be all right. They would soon find him. Maybe not tomorrow, but soon. Soon. They would have to find him soon. Gradually, like sloshing oil, his thoughts settled back and his panic was gone. Say they didn't come for two more days. No. Say they didn't come for three days. Even push that to four days. He could live with that. He would have to live with that. He didn't want to think of them taking any longer. But say four days. He had to do something. He couldn't just sit at the bottom of the street and stare down at the lake for four days. And nights. He was deep in the woods and didn't have any matches. Couldn't make a fire. There were large things in the woods. There were two wolves, he thought, and bears, and other things. In the dark, he would be in the open here, just sitting at the bottom of the tree. He looked around suddenly and felt a hair on the back of his neck stand up. Things might be looking at him right now, waiting for him, waiting for dark so they can move in and take him. He fingered the hatchet at his belt. It was the only weapon he had, but at least it was something. He had to have some kind of shelter. No, make that more. He had to have some kind of shelter, and he had to have something to eat. He pulled himself to his feet and jerked the back of his shirt down before the mosquitoes could get to him. He had to do something to help himself. I have to get motivated, he thought, remembering Perpich. Right now, I am all I've got, and I have to do something.